Yeah, what's the fascination with the Super Bowl? It's just such a big event, isn't it? I mean, the sport itself is boring as fuck. Um, did but it's all, did you stay up? All the, no, I, I didn't. I tried to start a new tradition last night by staying up with my two elders and we ordered pizza. I got about 14 minutes in and fucked off to bed just after midnight. My eldest was five minutes behind me and the second eldest stayed up till about, till just after the halftime show and then went to bed. I woke up this morning and in bed I read that uh, I had missed, quote, one of the best Super Bowls of all time. And Thriller. That's the fucking end of that tradition. <laughs> Too late for you, is it? It's, it was on during the day I'd watch it. Also, the neck of the Americans saying that they're world champions, the winners of the Super Bowl, world champions. So only one country plays it. Therefore, it's not, by definition, a world champion. Same with baseball. You win the World Series. World Series? Did Poland have a team in it? Did Venezuela? So it's not a World Series. So it's kind of what I what is jaw-droppingly... Um, Laughable, I think, and makes me laugh is the pomp and ceremony before the the kickoff last night with the fly flyover and four uh, fighter jets piloted by four women, by the way, which come up on a graphic courtesy of Fox News, and then uh, some Grammy winning guy who I never heard of sung the Star Spangled Banner, and it cut to a close up of Sirianni, who was the Philadelphia Eagles coach, who was in fucking ribbons, snots and tears blinding him. Uh, they know how to put on a show. There ain't no doubt about that. And Rihanna, by all accounts, was superb at the, at the uh, halftime break. But And the match apparently was brilliant. But as I say, I got 11 minutes in, had the pizza eaten, 19 chicken wings, and I fucked off to bed. Let's do it! <laughs> So this is Go Loud Selects, a Go Loud original, and it is presented. I'm sure you know by now, if you've been listening over the past uh, a year, I think we've been I doing it. Simon that. Delaney, Aiden Power, and our producer, uh, John Casey. We should start as we mean to go on and let everyone know who enjoys yeah. this podcast that after today's episode of the podcast, we are taking a break. We are packing away the microphones, we are retreating underground, we are downing tools for a short time. We're calling it, we're calling it a wrap on season one, isn't that what we're doing? So season one wraps, wowzers. What was the best end of season one wrap you ever saw on a TV show? Best moment Great for question. Oh, uh, one one springs to mind, head. yeah, I'm rattling through them myself here. One springs oh, I've to got mind. one. Go, do it. Homeland. Marine Sergeant Nicholas Brody, MIA since early 2003 and presumed dead. Until now. What happened to his partner? Brody was a scout sniper. They work in pairs. Corporal Thomas Walker also went missing that day. Carrie Matheson, ladies and gentlemen, how does she do? I've never seen it. Oh, dude, season one of Homeland is back in edge of the seat. Really? Brilliant. Mm. I have seen it, but how did it end again for a season? No, well, don't say it now because I'm fucking going to dive in. You're never going to watch it. I am. And okay, by the way, I'm up to season six of the West Wing. Jeez. Six. Six and seasons. And a reminder that there's 22, 23 episodes in each season. Correct. And I've devoured six. I'm halfway through season six. Uh, by the way, the end of season one, that was fucking brilliant. Um, and the other one I can think of is Boardwalk Empire. Anybody watch that? Oh, yeah. Love that. Yeah, the end of season one. Do you remember? For, I won't give it away, but do you remember what happened in the last episode of season one? I don't. No. Well, let me just say one of the main characters in us didn't appear in season two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a good haircut. Three years. France, mostly. It's almost impossible to describe the horror. It's a living, waking nightmare. There was a soldier, a German. Him and his men tried to attack our position in the Aragon Forest. It was nighttime. While he was trying to climb through some barbed wire, I shot him twice, once in the stomach, once in the neck. He slumped over the barbed wire, and no matter what he did to try
try and wriggle free. It just got worse for him. I left him there, like that, for days, listening to him moaning, crying, Mutti, Mutti, Mutti. That's German for mama. He did have a great haircut. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was a brilliant season one ending. So how are we going to finish uh, season one here? Are we having a party? Are we, what are we giving out prizes? What are well, we well, first surprise of the nice day morning. Johnny Logan will appear and sing for the last time. Yeah, Johnny Logan, uh, sorry to dampen that, uh, Ado. He wouldn't return my texts and that's probably not going to happen. He's so cancelled as well. He's just Fuck. not really responding. Fuck. We could play some Johnny Logan. For the last time, hold me now. Don't cry. Don't say your word. Just hold me now. And I will know though we're apart. If we said okay. we were the owners of a three to five hundred seater venue in northern west Germany and said he wanted to do a gig, he, he probably replied to you. Yeah, all the curry verse he can handle, he'd be there. Oh, curry mm. verse. Oh, oh tasty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Germans do a good sausage. This is already going in a very weird place. We've talked about Johnny Logan and German sausages. Whew. Wow. Right then, Delaney, how would you like to uh how would you like to mark it? How would you like to end it? Well, I think we should have an office party and I have a photocopy near be, near beside me here and I might just photocopy copy my arse. <laughs> My crappy, crappy it could be the painkillers talking, and I think it is. So, uh, dear listeners, uh, once again, Simon is carrying another injury. A sports injury, which ties in nicely to the theme of today's episode, I think you'll find. So you, <laughs> Simon, have had a torn hamstring, being COVID. Injured in, yeah, and being You've injured. You've done your ACL live on the show, uh, if yeah. I remember correctly as well. I've had two <laughs> my toenails, I've had two my toenails removed surgically. I think maybe the end of uh, the first run is probably good for your health. Um, well, there's you can't keep going on like this. The real reason, let's let's just tell everyone, the real reason is Simon's health insurance won't cover him anymore for this podcast. No. There is a correlation between starting this show 10 months ago and having three operations and uh, been invited to the Christmas party of the people who own Salpadin. And you lost those teeth when you got so angry you bit your own microphone. Remember that? You were so angry. Oh, and you owe me a window, a window because I threw the microphone out the window True. of the bedroom here. This podcast yes. has nearly killed him. It has, but we're still here and I can't wait for season two. Cannot wait. But before we get there, we got to finish season one. What are we talking about this week, lads, huh? Simon has to be patched up in the hospital before he can be sent back out onto the uh, podcast field. Well, speaking of fields, speaking of sporting injuries, uh, we are going to uh, do a, a sporting team, I guess, for, for the for the last dance chops. Huh? Huh? Oh, can I just throw something in before we go on? Just to give the listeners a little insight. Into did, you just, the show did, you just blow, did you just blow in my ears? I did, yeah, I'm vaping. Okay. Every week, when we do the show, we do it, and we have names that you have to put in here. Did you notice my name today? And did you notice did, it last week? No, I never, never pay attention to it. <clears throat> why, why do I? I tell you why? Me? Because the uh, the software we're using to record, I can only see the first one, two, three, four, five, six letters of whatever yeah. you've typed. So all I can You're see miss, is Mrs. Lan, Mrs. Dot she, Lan. Yeah, oh, actually, I'm Mrs. Lanigan this week. Yeah, Lanigan's ball. No. Mercer's Lanigan. And last week I was hmm. Toby Ziegler. Not that you fucking noticed. West Wing. Yeah, Mrs. Lanigan. Yeah. Vice President. Good evening, Mr. President. Bob Cratchit. Oh, sir, sure you have better things to do than annoy me. Never. You bought a new car? Yes, sir. And you paid sticker price. Section 2635. You need to look at the next page, subsection B, paragraph 4, Mammy Yoko. You know, I could beat you up any time I want, sir. Secret Service would have you down like a calf at a rodeo. She's the, yeah, she's, yeah, she, yeah, who, I get it. Who was killed? Oh, fucking, just a spoiler for anyone who's like yeah. Simon up until a few weeks ago, haven't, hasn't watched The West Wing. <laughs> uh, President Bartlett's dear, uh, long-serving uh, uh, elderly secretary uh, dies in The yeah. West Wing. At the end of season one, and I'm actually, I, I have a notion now that I want I don't know what I might call it my memoir. I might call it the title of my memoir. It's going to be called Mrs. Lanigan's Cookie Jar. Oh. 
Oh, these painkillers are kicking in. Carry on, Aidan. What are we talking about? Sports and fields. Bit of a niche reference going on there. Um, now you have me thinking about that poor, poor character in uh, in the West Wing. Hey, let me ask you this, Simon, before we get on to sport. Yeah. If you're uh, six seasons into the West Wing, has someone else died in a very um, dramatic way Ooh. with it, the strains of uh, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah playing? Or oh, if well, if it hasn't happened, no, you'd know it if it's hap- if it's happened. It's one of the I most memorable. Episodes of the entire show. Really? Well, it can't yeah. be in the last season, is it? It, has, it must have happened already. I can't it remember where, where it happens within it, but um, maybe you were so off your face in the painkillers that you, you were. Can you tell me how they died? They were shot. Give me shot to death. <sighs> they were shot. We'll take that this... as a no, folks. Oh, man, I know that. Well, the end of season one, there's a shooting, but nobody of significance was brown bread. Anyway, let's carry this conversation on at a different point. Not while these people who have taken the time to subscribe download this podcast. What were you talking about sports and fields? Are we going out for a run? You're not. You need to be wheeled around. We are talking sport this week um, for a load of reasons. The Super Bowl was on this week. Uh, you attempted to watch five minutes of it, ten minutes of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ireland beat France in the Six Nations. I was at it. One of the fucking best oh, yeah. games of any sport I've ever been at. Period. And that will be that. Ireland, the world's number one team, have beaten the Grand Slam champions, France. It was just really? fantastic. You know? Did you have I mean, a few H-bombs of the guys after? Fucking bombs away. We were sending it. Tell you what, there wasn't a pension funded all weekend. <laughs> there wasn't a fucking... It wasn't a bloody aircraft to be leased anywhere, lads, huh? Huh? No, no Kosamui Cup trophies fucking dished out over that weekend. Did you go for scoopage? We went for pints, yeah. We totally yeah, where'd you go for pints? We were, I was in there after the match. I was in O'Brien's on Leeson Street Bridge, and then I was in O'Donoghue so, yeah. on, um, was it Marion Row or Baggett Street? Did you know, by it? the way, interesting fact that when the Aviva was becoming the Aviva, in other words, when Lansdowne Row was closed down and all you poor Southsiders had to come over here to Croker. Remember that? I that do, period yeah. of time. Did you know that the, that Kylie's in Donnybrook, yeah, totes, they ran a bus service from Kylie's over to Croker and back in case they got lost over there. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's just that's just great customer service. I was a Because they came out of Croker and they weren't going to go down for a pint in the Sunset House, like, on, in, you know, they weren't going to go for a scoopage around uh, Croker. No, so just go no. on the bus, lads. One of the lads will hire a coach. Yeah, yeah. I used to live literally behind Kylie's. I could throw it. I could spit at it. I used to live so close. In the cottages? Uh, yeah, in the cottages. Uh, nice. I think mean, it was 2011, the Heineken Cup final. Sexton final. Uh, and they were getting hammered at halftime in Leinster. And you just hear people outside, you know, moaning and giving their shit. I have the, the window yeah. open. I was like, oh, they must be losing the match. And then, of course, Johnny Sexton scored a bunch of tries and penalties and conversions and they won in the, at the death and they sang until about three or four in the morning all these rugby songs i had no idea what they were oh, like fucking they hell. were just like you know uh, slagging off you know schools or colleges that might have been rivals to them you know, 15 years previous all that fucking well john i hope you locked your doors shit. and locked the windows and you were safe because that's that's terrifying speaking yeah, of johnny Sexton, i thought it was interesting to note uh during the the anthems uh, at the game on Sunday, he was he was tearing up. He was blubbing. Never seen that before. Can we talk? If you, can we go down this road and talk about Ireland's call? <laughs> well, you can go off and rant rant all you want about it. Off oh, you go. for Jesus! Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. And exactly how do they, how do you spell Ireland? Is it A R E L A N D or what's the first o- letter in Ireland? O I R A. Shoulder, Ow. shoulder. I, I don't I know. And yeah, uh, let's not go down that road because I might alienate some listeners. But I didn't see the game. I saw bits of it. It was a great uh, day. It was, yeah, it was terrific. That first half was, in the words of people far more qualified than I, as in a lot of the ex-players said, was the best game of uh, 40 minutes of not just Irish rugby they've ever seen, but rugby full stop. Are we going to win the World Cup? We're number one now. We should win. 
We, we will. were number one before when we came into the World Cup. And yeah, we won we're, the Grand we're, Slam. We're lashing New Zealand and South Africa out of it easily these days. So not when it counts. Not when it counts, baby. Counts in the World Cup in the quarterfinals, and we haven't never done it. Will we we will win if we have um, enough players available to us to do it. We will. Mm-hmm. The mind. The mindset is different. They are a completely different. Uh, mental team than they were. And am I right in saying we're United. due to get France in the quarterfinal? The way the draws worked out. Yeah, well, it'd be France or New Zealand. <clears throat> so take your oh, pick. Oh, great, in the quarterfinal. Mm. Yeah. Sake. But all of a sudden now, like France at home, you know, at any time is a terrifying prospect. France at home during the World Cup in their pomp is very difficult. But they're under pressure now. And also you know, we have the small matter of South Africa in our group, as well as Scotland. Yeah, wide. small but wide, very wide. Mm. Although we showed against a bigger uh, bunch of lads the other day that um, it isn't all about size. <laughs> anyway, well, enough of the match. Yes. Uh, the reason we're wandering around the houses to get to talk about uh, sport on TV, um, in, in particular sports documentaries as opposed to sports drama, is because John is watching something at the moment about somebody that you or I have never heard of, but apparently he's great and it's great. People didn't think Bill Russell was going to be a factor in the NBA. Red Oberg walks up to me. He says, I don't have any idea. Don't care how many parts you make. I just want you to have us win. I started seeing things and noticed things. What a play by Bill Russell! Yeah, I never heard of him really either. But I have to kind of confess now, well, I have to hold my hands up. Like Netflix, no one's making sports documentaries as well as them, really. Like the amount of time well, and effort they put into it. Okay. You can argue with me, uh, Eamon, on that one? No, well, I was just like, Netflix have, have tapped into uh, a very formulaic thing now with the success of Drive to Survive. And now they are just carbon copying it and attaching it to other sports. They've done it with the tennis, which has uh, appeared on Netflix in the last three or four weeks. And by uh, the day this podcast airs on Wednesday, there'll be another one, which is uh, like a Drive one, yeah. to Survive version of golf. And Drive to Survive Formula One, amazing. And it's revolutionized the sport and brought in millions and millions of uh, euros and new fans to the sport. You need to respect the speed. But the second a driver has fear, you need to retire. And made it a truly global event. Because in fairness, they were struggling for a few, Bob, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. Revolutionized the sport, Edo. When you'd see Lewis Hamilton down in, down in Little, you'd be going, now he should be in Marks and Spencers. Do you know what I mean? Or Waitrose. So yes, he, mm. they did need the few bob and uh, it had to help them. Um, as in, it is like quadrupled their viewing number, Simon. Uh, their events sell out now a year, two years in advance. Most of them never sold out bar the, uh, well, I say most of them, some of them wouldn't have sold out, you know, to attend it over the three days of the, between the practice and the, the qualifying and the actual race. Dull, now, dull, dull. Doesn't matter what you think of it, as as a, as a, the series was brilliant. I watched Drive to Survive, fantastic, and it made me dip back in and say, well, I'm going to pick a team, follow follow a driver. And after the 20 go. minutes into the first race, I was like, fuck that. <laughs> You've no patience <laughs> for fucking anything, do you? Uh, I've just sat through 100 episodes of The West Wing. I think I proved I have patience, Mrs. Lannigan's. Well, maybe not for you? certain sports. You couldn't watch the Super Bowl. You can't watch Formula One. I don't like Formula anyway, One really myself. But I used to play the Formula One games in the PlayStation back in the day. Yeah, they're fucking dull as well. They are dull. And I got a penalty on the second last lap, having played for three hours and one and came second. And that was the last time I ever played it. Like I just yeah. felt. It's dull stroke, utterly fucking yeah. frustrating. Unless you set it at the easiest settings, you never win a fucking race. And you're like, why isn't and this car turning left when I wanted to go left? It's just. It's like going bowling with the bumpers, lads. Um, I'm very much enjoying playing. Um, I haven't played it for a while because it's very time consuming. Uh, they brought out a, uh, like a football manager version of it last year, F1 manager. And it's um, oh very technical and very involved in managing your team and getting your uh, technical setup right for each. You build race. your car. Uh, well, you, you you do effectively. Oh, yeah, you do have to um, build your car, John, and you have to. You have, you have to, to organize uh, sponsorship deals. You have to decide yeah, what types yeah. of wheels you want, how many yeah. nuts in each fucking yeah. wheel, what type yeah. it's square wheels around. Fucking, if you thought watching Formula One was dull, play the fucking game. It's dull. He's never Dullsville. played. I have played it. I had the app on my phone. Who's this guy in the documentary, John? Look, it's not about Formula One, but one thing I think Netflix do really well is bring kind of American sports to European audiences and break it down and make it very exciting. Obviously, The Last Dance did that perfectly with uh, basketball and Michael Jordan's legacy. Michael Jordan! 
talked about Vincent early, Jimmy. Penetrates here along Danny Ainge. Catches Michael going to the hoop and up and a slam dunk down through. Listen to this crowd. It's a 16-point lead for the Bulls. 335 left. Jordan's free throw is in. But kind of going back, there's a guy called Bill Russell who's got that treatment. He's a two-parter on Netflix. Bill Russell Legend, it's called. Uh, and he would have kind of played in probably the early 60s to early 70s. Um, but it's not just about basketball. Obviously, the civil rights movement is kind of social conscious approach to life generally. But the idea that the NBA was just a bunch of kind of pasty white fellas up until around 1959, 1960. And then African-American players started getting involved. And, and they really did revolutionize the sport. Not to use a term um, kind of too lightly. But for him, the reason he's so exciting as an athlete, he was six foot ten, wasn't viewed necessarily as being a promising player. He was only maybe the seventh or eighth round draft pick, but he was an incredibly aggressive center. So he was a defender, essentially. And before him, no one jumped when they were defending. People just thought it was impolite to jump in the face. Sorry, no one jumped? No one jumped. Defending. It was viewed as impolite. So you would feed, oh, would be stuck on the ground. You would put up your hands and try to block but you wouldn't get in the face of where it was uh, attacking you, your end. Right. And he was mega aggressive. He won 11 NBA championships, which is unheard of. He like only 13 years is all he played. He won 11. Um, and then it kind of goes through his personal life as well. But I won't go into it too much because it's, well, we're watching two episodes, yeah. 90 minutes each. The racist aspect of it is one that is teased out very well. He's a very intelligent guy. He talks about migrating from the South when he was around kind of nine or 10 years old, arrives in California, loving life, eventually gets to go to basketball, gets picked by the Boston Celtics is where he stayed his whole career. But while he was there, even in Boston, living in a relatively, I'd say, working class neighborhood, uh, predominantly white, uh, took a long time for him to be accepted. But when you're carrying home championship after championship, eventually the local populace kind of warmed to you. And it cuts to this. I actually had like footage of it, uh, audio. He was celebrated in the the kind of town, I guess you'd call it an amphitheater almost or whatever. They had a huge dinner. Everyone was there, all the dignitaries, uh, the team. He made a speech and they just basically swooned over him for several hours. And this was after he won maybe his fifth championship, the Boston Celtics. The next week, he went to move to a slightly bigger house in a slightly nicer part of town. And most of the same people who were there signed a petition to stop him because he was black. Like, Jesus. beggar's belief. Fucking hell. I know. And he was obviously keenly aware of racism growing up in the South, but... And what are you talking about, late 60s, early 70s? This is like 19... Probably around 1965 uh, that happened. So he... Like, they'd never won a championship before he arrived. And as soon as he arrived, he just... He dragged them to championship after championship. You know, you're looking at 70, 80 games a year. Uh, just a, an absolute titan for them. And he wanted to move to a slightly nicer house in Boston. And they were like, no, you can't. I'm not letting you. Uh, he not eventually did. And yeah, it was it's disgusting. People used to uh, broke it, break into his house, ransack it, defecate on his floor, smash up all his trophies. Um, really vile. But like, as a man, uh, no offense to Michael Jordan, I loved watching The Last Dance, but you kind of get the, the feeling that Michael Jordan doesn't really believe in anything except Michael Jordan and money. Um, and he kind of he covers that a bit in The Last Dance but this guy had nothing but beliefs and kind of morals etc but also a shit hot basketball player while we're watching I'm not a huge fan of the sport generally but his story is compelling and uh, I think he'd teach a lot of athletes these days a thing or two about being uh, I suppose pampered all he wanted to do was win and Jesus he just won like every time at all costs very entertaining Wow, John, that's great. I'd never heard of the guy. Again, I'm not a basketball fan, but I'm I'm looking at him here on my screen and reading some stuff about him, and I'm uh, I'm wondering when they're going to make the movie about him. I mean, he sounds yeah. like he's got all the the elements of a great uh, narrative and a great story to tell. Obviously, it's been have done seen, in, in the documentary. Have you seen that film? I haven't seen now. It's when Muhammad Ali was effectively barred from the sport, and you know that the powers that be rejected his uh, boxing license because he wouldn't go to Vietnam and. Basically, a lot of very high-profile African-American athletes at the time, Jim Brown, Bill Russell among them, kind of had a conference with him just to kind of tease out why wouldn't he go and what was it down to? Obviously, it was religious beliefs and the fact that he didn't feel it was a just war anyway in Vietnam. But that film, I think, does depict him 
uh, on screen. Someone plays Russell in that. I haven't seen it now, but I do think you're right. He does merit his own film because his story is incredible. Thing there was uh, like a summit meeting, mm. um, which I think took place in Cleveland. So what you say the movie was called, or was it a documentary? I think it was called One Night in Cleveland. That's a porno. Okay, let's get on. That. <laughs> okay, uh, I've got it here. It's actually people. called. So here we go. It's called. Uh, <laughs> we're both contributing to the title. It's called From uh, From One Night in Miami to the Cleveland Summit. Okay, or is that an article? Hang on. Either way, that was the subject matter of the film. It's just called One Night in Miami. There you go. That's what it is. One Night in Miami. Not jumping before has been fascinated. That's like saying to a footballer in the mid-40s, you know we can use both feet, lads. Mm. He was playing and he won two national college championships, which is unheard of. You win one of those, you're you're kind of a legend, but he won two in a row before he turned pro. And during that, he was like aggressively getting people's faces jumping and just unbeatable. And his coach was like, what are you doing? Why are you jumping? You're making a mockery of the sport. And he's like, I want to fucking win. Like, I'm not letting some pasty white fella dunk over me. I'm going to jump. There you go. He's still going, right? He's still alive. He I know he's just, elderly, but... He died July last oh, year, aged 88. Right. My time yeah. is way off. Okay. Where are the other voices crying out for change? There's nobody listening. You think the new black athlete can bring about any social or political change? I have nothing to lose. Because if I don't have my manhood, I don't have anything. When you men- mentioned Michael Jordan there, one of the, um, you know the way Google suggests searches uh, for you, it says, who was better, Michael Jordan or Bill Russell? And then mm. the following article says, why Bill Russell was better than Michael Jordan. So there you go. That's how some people yeah. consider him. Um, when you mention Michael Jordan and Nike Air, have you boys seen the trailer for the, the Nike Air movie? 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. Starring There was a brilliant movie with Jason Bateman, isn't it? Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. I just saw the trailer for it last week, and it's about the it's the origin story of how Nike Air was created. And the trailer would have you believe that Matt Damon's character, who's some class of a Nike employee um creator, um uh has kind of had a few ideas turned down and he's like, I've got to come up with something, I've got to come up with something. Finds to this save the company. Yeah, is that is that's as high stakes as it is. Finds yeah. this unknown athlete, who turns out to be Michael Jordan, and says, let's design a shoe around this guy. And Ben Affleck, who seems to be playing this kind of kooky uh, head of Nike, who wears like a silky tracksuit and shades in the office, is like, you want to do all this on, a, on an unknown guy? Now, I never knew that that was part of the, the Nike story. I thought it was, it would have come after Michael Jordan had got famous. And they went, let's, let's, throw some sponsorship deals this guy's way and, and make him a boot. But they were making it around a guy who wasn't even known. It sounds a bit God bless America, doesn't it? Yeah. I think his I, profile was God a little higher than they're letting on. Um, mm. He, he exactly. was like a shit hot basketball player, number one pick. Um, There's no question he was going to be at top of the sport when he came into it. But I know what you mean. It's like, let's get him before he's even threatened a championship or Mm. even an Eastern Conference. But it's, maybe so. it's more about the story about how they convinced him to come along with them because they were... Because he went to Adidas first. In Shitsville, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how did they sign him? How did they get him to come over to Nike? Begged him. Um, can I give you a documentary? And funny enough, when you started talking about yours, Johnny, hmm. I thought we were going to end up talking about the same thing because uh, my documentary features another Russell, Bing Russell. Do we know who Bing Russell is? No. Bing Russell. Uh, <clears throat> so Bing Russell was Kurt Russell's father. Oh, yeah. that's Who was a very yeah. well-known actor. That's a good yeah. documentary. And this documentary is called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Long before steroids and multi-million dollar contracts, there was a truly independent ball club. A bunch of guys who were hopeless dreamers looking for a second chance. In short, the best kind of people. I saw this, came out in 2014, it was, uh, it was Netflix, 
and it's about um, a baseball team called the Portland Mavericks, uh, which his father owned. And the Mavericks were uh, an independent team. So in other words, they'd no affiliation to any of the major leagues. And it's about how he put this baseball team together. Uh, Kurt Russell appears in the documentary because he was obviously part of the story. Kurt Russell, uh, Bing Russell's two grandsons actually produced and directed the, the the film. And it's a fucking great watch. It's about how he put together. They had open um, tryouts for this team. They played in the minor leagues and they had people travelling from all across the country to come and, and try out for this team. Um, the Portland Mavericks, they went on to become they went on to become the most successful minor league baseball team in history. And it's all about the fallout that Bing Russell had with the leagues, why he wouldn't get involved. Kurt Russell talks about it in great detail because he actually tried out for the team. So he was there, lived through it. And the collection of fucking characters that he, he put together uh, for this team. And they, they play for four years from 73 to 77. And they're all, they all look like fucking hairy arsed fucking Hells Angels bikers, fellas with mm-hmm. various levels of mustaches and body hair. And they, and they, they really shook up the game. They got in the fucking umpires' faces. They, they, they jumped up into the crowds. They, they had huge attendances, uh, biggest in the league's history and went on to be a huge success. But, and it dies into then the, the story of Bing Russell, and he was in what was the big fucking Western back in the day. His, the tagline was seven. Yeah, Kurt Russell said that his father died 126 times on screen. He was he was the go to guy for the Western who got fucking shot off a horse. Um, he got 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I love this review. There's a couple of reviews here, and. Uh, Scott found us from Variety said that this is so rife with underdog victors and hairpin twists of fortune that if it all wasn't true, no one would believe it. Now, apparently, much like the previous one you were talking about, there were movie rights uh, bought uh, to make a movie after the documentary premiered at Sundance, but it hasn't been seen. Um, but it, it got rave reviews. It's a brilliant watch. It's a real underdog story. It's a real two fingers to the system kind of story and if you're into it if you're into that kind of stuff this is for you it's called the battered bastards of baseball why would bing russell come to portland bing was out to prove that independent baseball could work i think we charged bing 500 dollars for the franchise so we started from scratch we're gonna have open trials show us for the fools that we are coming from hollywood i've actually seen that simon and i fucking loved it oh i thought it was amazing yeah, I love the kind of energy of your man being and the fact that he loves yeah. the game so much and his whole, like, he really is a status, like, he's a, a proper brain, like, he really knows the game inside out. He's not just having a laugh. Yeah. 100%, a real student of the game. Yeah. And it was, as Kurt Russell says in the documentary, it was my father's passion, it was his life, you know. I'm just looking it up here, it's actually just, it's it's a documentary movie, so it's 73 minutes long. Um, But Jesus, if you haven't seen it, folks, get on it, it's, you'll, you'll fucking love it. Sounds great. They both sound great. So, John, yours is on Netflix, is that right? The Bill Russell one? Mm-hmm. It is. Simon Bill Russell, legend. Legend. Yeah, the, the, the baseball one, years. it was Netflix, but that was 2014, so I don't know where you'd find it now, but it's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. What a title, by the way. <laughs> there's, there's ways and means. Um, just reading a couple of things about him, just to add to what you said, Simon, and I'm, I know you know all these already. It says his, his uh, motto was simple. It was a one three-letter word. It wasn't win, it was fun. He created a park that kept all corporate sponsorship outside the gates, hired the first yeah. female general manager in professional baseball, and then the following year, hired the first Asian-American general manager. Mm-hmm. And they went on to record the highest attendance and so on and so forth and win things. Yeah, okay. literally, yeah, literally groundbreaking, this guy. And he just, he wanted to play the game for the right reasons. He wasn't into all that corporate bullshit and he didn't want to go near a league. And he was offered it, you know, but the leagues then tried to fucking dampen him down and put him out of business and all that. And it's a real David V. Goliath. And the, and the city of Portland just totally got behind him and his message. Because, like, as Kurt Russell says, 
the Portland people were going, who the hell are these guys rolling in from Hollywood? Like, you know what I mean? We're going to set up a baseball team. And then it just cuts to images of like 50 to 70,000 people. In this, and they all had sweeping brushes. That was the kind of thing. You know, the sweeping brushes they used to clean the mound of baseball. Mm. And then mm. the spectators brought them with them and they would be sweeping the stands. Like, that was that thing when they scored a fucking home run. It was It's just brilliant watching. And the, uh, the, the lineup of players, like these guys look like they, you know, they, they, they were the main population D-wing, you know what I mean? These guys were just, you know, and all the, they're interviewed and saying, you know, one guy rode his bike all the way over from one side of the country to the other to come to the open tryouts. And he says, I don't care about the money. I just want to play some ball. It's fucking great. Fucking great. Uh, well, I was just going to say, you just reminded me of something uh, very random there when you uh, talked about Bing being the guy uh, that his son, Kurt Russell, said died 127 times in Magnificent Seven because he was the guy always getting um, shot. Um, this, this probably seems a bit tenuous, but have have you heard of the, the Wilhelm scream or the Wilhelm scream? No, no. Okay, so it's a stock sound effect that's been used over and over again in all the major movies you've ever seen and TV shows you've seen. And it's the sound, and John, you can drop it in wherever you feel like, of the guy dying going, oh. Ah! And it's used in when anytime anyone dies in a movie. But it originated from uh, an old Western back in, the, back in the 50s. And it became just kind of a running joke in Hollywood just to reuse it. So um, it's used in every single Star Wars movie. It was in Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, Lethal Weapon, Indiana Jones, um, uh, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. Um, and it's just one of those kind of insider jokes in Hollywood. They use the exact wow. same sound effect of a guy dying and it's in everything. The Wilhelm scream. Yeah, and it originated in um, some random random Western back in back in the day. I think Rawhide or something like that. Um, well, just on what's currently out there at the moment um, and what's coming, are you excited for the golf one, Simon? Um, because again, I like, yeah, I mean, like Drive to Survive, they because the season they picked that up, loads of mad shit happened, and then there was the season last year where it was so dramatic. So they got really lucky with it, and I'm just wondering something similar happened with the golf with the split last year with the PGA and now the live golfers that they've got great drama, great storylines there to be told. Well, I just hope we see it, you know, see it, you know, for me, it'll be a great show if it's independent, if it's produced by anybody, you know, involved on either side of that argument, then it's going to lean towards it. But if it's an independent one and you're, you know, for me, a good documentary sports or whatever, or not sports, it's all about access. If we're, if, if we're seeing stuff that, you know, we didn't see in the mainstream press, then I'd, I'd love that because that whole split in golf last year, it's still going on and it'll be it'll be a huge news story later on this year because of the Ryder Cup. Um, I hope we get to see some of that and I'm, I'm interested to see who the cast of characters are, who they've got access to, you know, because I don't know whether it's, you see, what's holding me back from it is that, you know, is it an attempt to like, Drive to Survive to try and bring bring more people to the game. So will it show all the the good stuff, or will it be like Drive to Survive? And we'll see a couple of scraps between the drivers, and that's what you want to see. Because what the game, what every game needs, is every sport needs is characters. And if we get to see those characters, like that's that's why the first episode of the tennis one was all about Nick Kyrgios because he's the only fucking character in tennis. Do you know what I mean? The rest of them are all just fucking robots. It's the only episode and, I watched. Then, and then I was like, yeah. he's, he's gone out of it now. I've, exactly. What's yeah. the point? Even that, I, didn't think, I, I didn't think it was great, except for he's he's somewhat of an interesting fella. But know, I didn't every sport's the same. You know, if you think about snooker, like hasn't been a good snooker character since Higgins. Do you know what I mean? There hasn't been a bad boy. Yeah, Ronnie O'Sullivan, but, you know, he's nothing compared to Alex. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so if we get to see some of the arguments between, you know, everybody knows, anyone who's a golf fan knows who the – who the arseholes are on the tour, you know, and who the other players don't like playing with for various reasons. If we get to see that tension, then yeah, I'll be all over like a rash. I mean, I'm, I hope it's good. I'm hoping it's good. When does that drop, Ado? It's coming out Wednesday. So the day of this podcast. So Excellent. Yeah, um, they timed it badly. They shouldn't have had a release day the same day as us, but hey-ho, we'll see who wins. Yeah, I'm sure they're quaking in their boots. But listen, would you watch it? It's called Full Swing. I will. Yeah, I will. Because um, I do think it is. Um, I, I don't think there's any way you can't cover what happened last year because they were filming when yeah, it all yeah. happened. 
you know so i yeah. think we are going to see uh hopefully yeah i hope so yeah uh you, you excuse my excuse my ignorance but is it effectively the golf version of the european super league that kind of died at inception is that kind of what mm, that is uh, not really no it's no not really because so the PGA Tour and the European Tour are the DP World Tours as, as is known now are the two major tours in the world that's where if you're a professional golfer there that's the level you want to play and you want to play in either the PGA or the DP World Tour or as most of the top boys do play in both what Live Golf has done is in an attempt to bring golf to Saudi Arabia and to the Asian Peninsula which is total bollocks <clears throat> is they've they've created another tour <clears throat> they've created 20 events and they've gone and they've asked some of the best biggest golfers in the world to come and join them now the problem is that the pga have said well you can't play on that tour and play on ours at the same time there's no history there's no heritage there's no world ranking points attached to it what's the point you're literally going there for money mm. greg norman who set up live golf amongst others he's the face of it <clears throat> their argument is and there are supreme court hearings at the moment about it is that a professional golfer should be allowed to play professional golf wherever is available because there are of course other tours in the world there's levels of tours there's the uh, the asian tours there are the um you know levels below the pga the corn ferry tour same in europe there's a sort of not a second division tour but it's how you get onto the main tour then so their problem is that, you know, that the PGA and DP World Tour are effectively saying to people who are self-employed, professional golfers, we, you can only play with us. So now all the shit is, well, okay, there are certain golfers have now gone. <clears throat> um, and the PGA are now saying, well, then you can't play in any of the majors because the majors are run by the RNA and in, in Ireland and the UK and Europe and by the PGA Tour. Now, the Masters, which most people would say, especially Americans, is the biggest major of the last. It's the first of the year. happens in April. They came out recently and said, no, they can play. So all the live golfers will be able to play at the Masters. But the following three majors, they're not allowed to play in. So it's going to cause eruptions. And then in September, we have the biggest, in my opinion, one of the best sporting events in the world, which is the Ryder Cup. Because it never fails to deliver drama, except that that's happening in Italy. And the live golfers won't be able to play in it because they haven't amassed qualifying points because they're no longer okay. eligible for award points. So they can't make the team. So now the, the PGA and the RNA have to say, well, can we just pick them? Because each captain gets, normally what happens is the top nine players on the order of merit, i.e. word number one to word number nine, you know, if you've amassed enough points, you qualify automatically for a spot on the team. And then the, each captain gets three, three, maybe four wild picks. So they're saying, well, maybe now they can be wild picks. But then the PGA golfers are going, well, hang on, we had to fucking qualify for this. And you're just picking that guy and he doesn't even play golf on our tour. So there's going to be absolute ructions and this is a Ryder Cup year it's happening in September and some of the biggest European players Ian Poulter known as the postman because he always delivers at the Ryder Cup he's not going to be there um Gray McDowell who won the Ryder Cup for Europe a couple of years ago he was he's been a vice captain he won't be there and some of the high profile Americans won't be there um so it's a world of shit that they've opened up but it's a conversation as Rory McIlroy and Paul McGinley have said needs to happen because there is something in that it's like someone saying to me or any of us who are for self-employed well, you can only work here or there you can't work everywhere that's 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 illegal i think you know what i mean mm. Mm. well that has been said to you before simon it's been said to me that does happen of course it does it's not legal, yeah, which is illegal yeah. it's not illegal yeah. it's not right you know and if, if you want me just to work for you well then i'm going to sign an exclusive deal with you it's going to cost you a lot more money that's Get out fair the free handcuffs Exactly. Go. Get your forty handcuffs out. Chain me to that radiator, and I'll sign any check you want. You know, but um, so yeah. I mean, so getting back to your original question, sixteen minutes ago, if we get access to all of that shit and that whirlwind and that storm that hit golf last year, then I'll watch this in one fucking sitting, all eight, ten, or whatever episodes it is. 
But if it's just going to be following tour pros, now, I, I, you know, I'm a nerd of the game. I love golf and I'd love to see a bit of, you know, what's the journeyman's uh, life like, you know, hopping from plane to hotel, missing the cut every week. And, you know, fellas who, if they miss the cut, it makes a fucking difference because they're not going to be invited to the next week's tournament. Their money's down. They've got a team of people. That stuff would be interesting. But in terms of trying to bring non-golfers to the sport, you, you're going to need to have a characters and be a storyline that's of interest and this storyline of the splinter the split group away now from golf of live tour and it's it's you know middle eastern money it's sports washing yada 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 that's interesting but if we get to see that brilliant i'm in mm. just reading up on it here the golfers followed in full swing are jordan speed justin thomas Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. You see, so I'm going to stop you there, Ida. So Morikawa, I, I know, but Morikawa, Spieth, and uh, who was the other Morikawa, Spieth, and Justin Thomas. To me, they're the uninteresting people in golf. They're amazing golfers. They've all been war number one at certain points. They've all won majors. Um, but to me, when I look at either of those three players, it's the same player. Do you know what I mean? It's that, it's that. Okay, you know, can well, let me try you. Collegiate golf players who, you know, even Brooks Kepka, who's supposedly the bad guy. Fucking give me a break, will you? you know what I mean? <laughs> um, that's not going to be interesting to me to watch. Give me some good names. What else have you got? Scotty Scheffler, Ian Poulter, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. There you go. Tony Finau, Matt Fitzpatrick, um, Joel Damon. Joel Damon. Yeah, I mean the Damon only one. That, like the fact that you mentioned Ian Poulter, that to me now is going to be interesting because he's one of the he was one of the first to sign up and walk away and join the Live Golf Tour. Um, and by the way, this this Live Golf Tour, like they like Phil Mickelson has been was paid two hundred, I think it's two hundred million dollars to sign for it. Mm. And what what they've agreed to do is play in eight events last year. Now, they'll go up to 12 this year, I think 12 next year, and then 20. So they're going to build the tour up, and they're going to have war events around the world. So there have been events already in, in the U.S., in Northern America, and there's been events in the Middle East and you know Dubai. And, and in the that. U.K., wasn't there? And in the U.K., yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They want to bring it around the world. They want to make it a world tour. Um, but Poulter, who, who is the European Ryder Cup talisman, you know, talks about playing for pride, playing the yada yada. He has now put his Ryder Cup career, okay, it was probably coming to an end, but he was probably going to be a captain maybe next the next time around. That might, he's willing to put that at risk for taking a fucking check. And th these guys are already, already multi, 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 multi millionaires. I, I don't get it. And if we're, if we're getting access to him and uh, him telling us why he's done it, why he's doing it well then okay i'm in then i'm in but someone like polter well, i know offense to him like um i mean mickelson's obviously a legend majors to beat the band right tiger's greatest rival all that like polter never even fucking came within it like close to a major really like his Ryder cup heroics aside i would never have viewed him as a top tier player someone who was worthy of you know packing the fans in like, he does well he wears the silly trousers he's got a haircut but he's no way he's nowhere near anyone who I would have thought was challenging for no, majors constantly. But the thing that was interesting about fucking Poulter was, Poulter said 15 years ago that he was better than Tiger Woods. A 5.30 finish for Ian Poulter and he's given hope to a European side that looked totally lost as little as two hours ago. Garcia and Donald come up with a point. McElroy and Poulter come up with a point. Now that takes fucking nuts to do, particularly when you can't fucking back it up. <laughs> when you can't back it up and I'll add an addendum to that week to week on the PGA and the DP World Tour but when he went up against Tiger Woods in the Ryder Cup he fucking beat him and then he beat him again and then he beat him again do you know what I mean so Poulter is for you know I was a huge Ian, Ian Poulter fan because he's a character and he's Billy Big Bollocks wears the flash trousers but he backs it up He's had some big, big wins in his career. Yes, he's never won a major. Colin Montgomery never won a major, but he was European number one for seven years in a row. You know, yes, the pinnacle is winning a major. I, I totally get that. But what Ian Poulter has given to golf and to European golf 
following the footsteps of Seve and taking the European Ryder Cup team, totally flipping the Ryder Cup in its head where we never fucking won it. Europe wasn't interested in it because back in the day it was Great Britain, Great Britain again and Ireland against America and we never fucking moved an arse's roar. When Seve broke the mould and Seve went over to America and played more golf in America and eventually won the Masters, then won the Masters again. He then came back to the European PGA Tour and said, we need to fucking win this Ryder Cup because they just think they have to turn up and win it. And he built it. But when you have Poulter then, the year after Seve died, stand on the 18th green in Medina, and they've all got Seve's emblem sewed into their jumpers. And he's pointing at Seve after they won, and he's crying. I'm thinking, this guy's a fucking legend. But now he's fucked off to live golf. So what the fuck, Ian? You know what yeah. I mean? So if we get mm-hmm. to hear why, how, Ian Poulter's not interested in developing golf around the fucking world. That's bullshit, in my opinion. He's not doing it for the money, so why is he doing it? When he knows that this tour is backed, much like a lot of the Premier League teams, yada yada, the sports washing, all that, it's just, you know, like, I don't, I don't understand, and I'd love them to sit, sit me down and explain to you why they're doing it. Well, I think it's got to be the money, Simon. I know you say mm. he already has a lot of no, money. Because he knew it's it's money. Uh, or, you know, I'm just throwing my reputation, but fuck it, I'm getting hundreds of millions of pounds to do it. Because he knew he was throwing away uh, the, the thing he has most, which is um, being popular. Being an all right golfer, albeit a very good professional golfer, you know what I mean. But he's never going to win a fucking major. But, if you know, 25, he maybe he'd, yeah, he'd but pause. Yeah. If he was 25, he might pause, but. Yeah, no, but he, he had the potential. He's thrown away his legacy, he, you know. And he had the potential. He's thrown away the potential of being the Ryder Cup captain. Yeah, in Ireland, in yeah, in, a in a couple of years. Yeah, because that that's really happened. what he's he's best known for and love for is his Ryder Cup exploits. Of course it is. Um, of course it is. And and delivering. But delivering maybe, you see, but maybe we, it'll all change this year. Maybe the court rulings will go in favour of them. And as Paul McGinley said, well, look, maybe now it's time for the PGA to sit down with Liv and with the DP World Tour and say, look, because as Paul McGinley said, when you look at the other big American sports, NBA, NFL, baseball, those players are centrally contracted to that league. Mm -hmm. And they have to play in that league and have to play a certain amount of games. Anyway, as I say, if we get that access to Poulter, it'll be worth watching. Otherwise, it'll be watching Justin Thomas and Jordan Speed talking about what color tees are you using today? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's piqued a lot of people's interest, so uh, we'll get stuck into that. But not just yet, because, John, for the final time this season, what have you got for us? Oh. We have a quiz, guys. A oh, quiz. Christ. And What's the theme? I'm pitting you against each other. It's a sports quiz. Oh, it's not just football. It's not just golf. A bit of everything. Okay. 10 points for a correct answer. There might be bonus points. And if you don't know the answer, I'm passing it over. Oh, wow. Okay, let's Ten get to points. it. Okay, go over it. I'll go to you first, Simon, okay? Cue the music. Yep. Consider- considering your uh, incredible record in quizzes this season. It's <laughs> <laughs> better than mine. Yeah, it's a World Cup final win. Oh. Still hurts. Anyway, first question. Jurgen Klopp, your favourite manager. He began his managerial career at which German club? Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. That's incorrect. Aiden. Oh, and I watched the documentary about him. I think it's just called Jurgen, and it's excellent. It's not called Clippity, you know? I hope everyone else felt that as funny as I do. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, John. Jesus, John. Jesus, John. Um, um, uh, Mainz or something like that. Mainz is correct. 10 yes, points for Aiden. Fuck, my memory Bastard. is not as bad as I thought it was. And you, uh, you retain control. Okay, here we go. This one's for you, Aiden. Oh. In which year did Roger Federer win his first Wimbledon <clears throat> title? <laughs> Roger Federer. Gosh, let me see. What year are we at now? 23. 23. <clears throat> Roger Federer would have been, oh, ah. mm, oh, 03 or oh, 04. I'm going to say, I'm actually not going to go, I'm going to go oh, 05. <laughs> I'm going to pass it over. Sorry, and you're yeah, wrong. Nice. Like it's earlier. It's 2000 and. Banja Fora Satam Picanto 2003. Correct. 
bastard get in there. Do you know, he was a ball boy at Wimbledon. Was he really? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He's my favourite tennis player of all time. The class glided over, uh, be it a hard court, the grass, whatever. Amazing. But he has to to stop playing now. You never saw me playing down the public courts in St. Anne's Park in Rahini in the late 80s. In his his GAA white shorts. Not even breaking his sweat. My arse would burn if I wore GAA shorts. That was a shocker, man. Carry on. This, this one's for you. Long, long question, but a good Fun. one. Right. Who is the only player, Simon, who yes. is to have scored in the Premier League, Championship, oh, League One, League Two, Conference, FA Cup, League Cup, Football League Trophy, FA Trophy, Champions League, Europa League, a Scottish Premier League, Scottish Cup, and Scottish <laughs> League Cup? Who in is the same season? One guy. You might as well throw in League of Ireland at that as well. Well, I was going to say I was going to say Jamie Vardy, but he didn't play in Scotland and he hasn't played in the Champions League. Um, this this guy was a fucking goal machine for a little while. Yeah, I know who he is. Uh, he played for Rangers, didn't he? There'd be no clues. Jermaine. 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 Oh fuck me. <sighs> Come on, Motley. Oh, Jermaine. Oh, my. Jermaine. 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 Oh, my. This is fucking killing me. I'm going to have to call clock on you, Simon. You have 10 seconds. Jermaine Defoe. (laughs) Good guess, but incorrect. It was either Genus or Defoe he was going to go with. What other Jermaine were you thinking? Was it him? It, it wasn't him, unfortunately. It was a very good guess, though, Simon. Fuck's sake. I'm going to pass it over, Aiden. I fell asleep halfway through the question. Um, Gary Hooper. Oh, Correct. What? Fucking hell. Who the fuck Gary is Gary Hooper? Celtic. Celtic. Scored in the Champions League. And the Europa League. And the Scottish Premier League. And the Scottish Cup. And the League One. Fuck's sake. Come on. Okay. That's a classic one, pub quiz question. You've uh, you've got control again, Aiden. This one you'll know it or you don't. So, who was the highest run scorer of all time in international cricket? Hey, oh. it, cricket, not my strong suit. Simon, know more about the, that middle class sport than I would. I'll go with um, Ian Botham. That is incorrect. Yeah, I know it is. Highest run scorer. And I think it's one of the. I think it's an Indian player. It's not Kohli. I think it's a. Sharma. That is incorrect. It's Sachin Tendulkar. Oh, really? I've heard of him. Yep. Anywho, uh, this one's a little easier. This is for you, Simon. What was Usain Bolt's blistering 100 meter world record time? 9.84. Incorrect. Aiden, I'll hand it over to you. Okay. Immediately, three digits popped into my head. Two of them, Simon just said, but the one in the middle was different. So I'm going to go 9.64. Closer. It was uh-huh. 9.58. Jesus, was it? Yeah. Christ Fucking Christ. quick. No one's beating that. Fucking quick. You said that in the commentary I think, just to wrap it up. Yeah. Fucking, Fucking quick. quick. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm getting battered here, aren't I? <laughs> this one's for you, Aiden. And look, it could be your, your topic uh, because you defended it manfully earlier. Which two Formula One drivers have both won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year award twice? Name them. Which two Formula One drivers? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's got to be, oh, oh shit, hang on, let me not just steamboat Willie in there now, because you've got to go back to some of the uh, the uh, yonder years ones. Like, you, you would have to think Nigel Mansell won it, wouldn't you? And you would have to think Lewis has won it because he's won seven world titles. Okay, there are my two guesses, Lewis Hamilton and, um, who else did I say? Nigel Mansell. I'm going to give you five points, but I'm not going to say which one is correct. And I'm going to hand okay. it over to Simon. If you can do both correct ones, you will get the 10 points. Hmm. 
Well, I think Hamilton is one, and I think it's Graham Hill, or what's his fucking name? You white bearded one, Hill. Graham Hill, is it? Damon Hill, Damon thank Hill. you. You also get five points. Bastard. The answer is Nigel Mansell and Damon Hill. Okay, so Lewis hasn't won it twice. He has not. God, okay. I think we need to call VAR on that one because I think Hamilton has absolutely won it twice. Well, I'm, no doubt he's nominated every year. Probably, yeah. Carry on, JC. Anywho, uh, this one's for you. This is an easy one, Simon. This is like one of your... Yeah, considering I've got items. one right out of four, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> You're on 15 points. If you get this, you could draw level. Did Cristiano Ronaldo score more goals or play more games for Real Madrid in all competitions? He scored more goals. Correct. That's your 10 points. And for a bonus 10, mm-hmm. how many goals did he score? Do you want the exact figure? The exact figure. For fuck's sake. I'm going to say he scored the appearances. He scored 419 goals. Very close. Fuck was it? I'll hand that one over to you, Aiden. Bonus 10. How many goals? So what's the question? How many goals did he score for? Did he score for Real Madrid in all competitions? This is Cristiano Ronaldo. The very no, Pauling Ronaldo. He was a goalkeeper. <laughs> Jimmy right. Ronaldo. Left back. Cristiano, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. So what, what did Simon say? Oh, Jesus. 4-13. Four thir- four four, 19. Yeah, 4-19. I'll go higher. I'll go 4-55. I know. 4.55. Incorrect. 4.50 is the answer. Fuck. We're still level 25 and, all. And how many okay. games did he play, John? 438. Fucking unbelievable. Um, yeah, I'm really happy. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here, here's one. Uh, just a straight answer here. There'll be no questions for amounts. This is for you, Aiden. Who has won more Grand Slam titles, Serena Williams or Roger Federer? Wow, great question. Oh, Oh, it's got, oh man, I'm back. I'm back and forth in my head like a tennis rally. Um, Your good says Federer. That's incorrect, but I can't hand it over because it's too obvious. Serena. Serena is the answer. Okay, we're going into the last question, level 25 each. Okay. Christ. And I'm sure you all were devastated that uh, Southampton had to sack their manager, Nathan Jones, who lasted less. Than 100 days in the in the hot seat. Either of you, name me another Premier League manager who did not last 100 days. There are seven answers. Okay. So we just have to name one? Name one. Jeez, less than 100 days. Less. Um, okay. Well, um, oh, um, what's the amount of... To, to good luck answer wins. Oh, really? It's first, first, first come, first serve. Yeah, I'm going to okay. say Sanchez Flores. I'm going to say Frank correct. De Boer. <laughs> Both <laughs> correct. <laughs> Simon name. wins it. <laughs> Simon wins <laughs> it. <laughs> you bastard! Oh, dear Jesus Christ! Frankie Dion kept coming into my head. I was like, no, it's Frank. It's yeah. Frank. It's Frank. Not Frank. Frankie Dion, fuck's sake. Frank the Boar. He was a boar. That's why they said Jesus, him. Simon. Reign supreme in these quizzes. Sanchez Flores. Yeah. Too clutch. Too clutch. Came, of, came of fucking went. Rennie Moulinstein, he was another one. I think it was yeah. a, uh, was it not Brantford? Uh, for Fulham. Fulham. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other, uh, the other one would be the other former Ted Lasso Yankee coach, Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. Correct. At Swansea. Swansea Football Club in Wales, but we play in the English League. I don't understand it. I'm American. <laughs> that was every morning with poor Bob. He's like, I don't get, don't get it, guys. Wait a second. We're, we're in Wales, but we're playing in England? Um, so is that it? That's the end of season one. Shin A. What have you learned in season one, boys? What have you learned? I've learned... That you're a crafty bastard, Delaney, and you're all friendly chats, but when it comes down to the quizzes, <laughs> you're fucking ruthless. It's fucking business only, baby. Business only. And I don't uh, want to end on a sour note, but he's also a cheater, but whatever. 
I have to look at that part of the game. You know, the way. <laughs> that so <laughs> well, I guess, folks, if I learned anything, I learned that um, there is a lot of good stuff. This I'm going to just uh, cue state the obvious alert sound here. There's a lot of good stuff on telly, but there's also a tremendous amount of crap. And Absolutely. I feel that doing a podcast like this hopefully has helped people listening. It certainly helped us to be able to sift through the shit and recommend the the shiny, bright, good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, it was uh, worthwhile, not least getting to spend uh, such enjoyable uh, evenings uh, where I w- have nothing better to be doing than spending it with there you. you and I've learned that uh, over the past 10 months, if I had decided to single-handedly scale K2 wearing a fucking thong of flip-flops, I'd have been injured fucking less than doing this shit. See ya! <laughs> <laughs> Ha, <laughs>